This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Two Girls, One Ship, the podcast where we analyze, rate, and review all that the world of video game romances has to offer. I'm Genesis, the girl who loves it when tempers flare in a controlled environment. (laughs) And I'm Roberta, the girl who apparently loves elves that break my heart. That's just apparently what I've discovered about myself. Thanks, Bioware. You monster lover, you. No, definitely. Ah, if you're new here, welcome to the beautiful chaos. But you should know that our podcast centers on character and romance analysis and doesn't shy away from exploring the fun of fucking. Or from the deep emotional connections built between two characters using specific in-game dialogue. So if you want to stay spoiler free, then this isn't the podcast for you. So here's your fucking spoiler alert. Thanks for the spoiler alert, N7. If you listened to our Sebastian episode, you know that we had Austin and Shelby from the Dragon Age lore cast on at the end of his romance. We also discussed a lot of other stuff about Dragon Age. We decided to save ourselves from a weekend of intense audio editing and instead release it as a completely separate episode. Mm-hmm. We talked for almost two hours that night, so we got the content. Get ready for some general Dragon Age talk, educated guesses, wild theories, and above all, tangents. Let's get right back into it with the cups. The first thing we wanted to do was to have you guys, in your opinions, rank the companions. You can include Sebastian or not, because for me, he's like bottom of the tier for Dragon Age 2 companion romances. So you guys can rate them. And then I also want Shelby to explain why they all need therapy and not love. Because I've quoted you saying that. You've said that to me. I love it. I agree. Um, I have a clarifying question. Is this what, because my rankings would be different. Is this what we think are objectively the best or what we prefer? I think you can say objectively best for the ranking, and then you tell us your preferred romance, personally, like who you chose for your hawk. Okay. You want to go first, Shelby, or you want me to go first? Um, I'll go first. Okay. So I, um, I, I, I wrote my ranking as my personal favorite ranking, but I think I stand by it as the best, too. So I think it's the same. So, um, bottom, I'm going to start from the bottom up. Bottom of the barrel is... For sure, Sebastian. That is, there's five of them, right? Yep. Okay, just checking. I make sure I had everybody. <laughs> um, Jen is going to fight me, but at number four, I put Anders. Um, I don't hate Anders. I don't hate Anders like some of the other people in this podcast right now. Um, <laughs> I don't hate him. I just, but I do hate his romance. I don't think it's well done. Um, and the thing that gives me the ick the most is um, if you're a female hawk, which I'm almost always a female um, hawk gamer, whatever, um, he doesn't share with you his like full history. He doesn't 
ever tell you that he was in a relationship with a man. He doesn't share that with you. And that really bothers me like a lot. And I think I talked about that on our show when we covered Anders too. Um, and so I totally like support or support where Anders is coming from. I, I support his opinions. I support him saying mages should be free. I just don't necessarily support the way he went about it. Um, but yeah, I just hate his romance. So anyways, um, Meryl is at number three. I was surprised that I didn't absolutely hate it. Um, but I am in the place where I do think she just needs a friend more than she needs a romance. Fenris is my number two. I enjoyed his romance, but I think I would have enjoyed it more if I had played this when I was 15. And then at number one is Isabella. And I I was kind of surprised that I put her there, honestly. But I just think that, especially when you romance Isabella as a female hawk, it just really shows her that someone can value her for herself. Um, and I don't think she's ever been valued as a person, as Isabella before. And so um, I think she really grows a lot. And so that's why I rank her number one. I agree with your Sebastian ranking. And I agree with your Isabella ranking. I would swap Meryl and Anders. Um, I I think that it's just for me, I can't, I, I don't like Meryl's personality type. Of the hyper shy, timid. Uh, I like her rival Mance a little bit more than I like her friend Mance, only because I feel like she grows a backbone. But if I feel like my personality type is going to overpower you, whether it's the personality type of the the video game PC that I'm playing, or even my own personality type, I can't make you fall in love with me because mm-hmm. then I am crushing you, and I don't like that. I I don't like Fenris's romance for my personally, but I do think that it is a better romance objectively than Anders. You will get me mm-hmm. to admit that. I just wanted on the record that Shelby and I did not talk about this beforehand. We haven't even discussed these questions with each other. My ranking is exactly hers. <laughs> We are married married or something. (laughs) Um, But I do just want to add about when I played through the Anders romance, I didn't like it was just I think I need to go back at it and play a different Hawk personality because I I think it ranks so low to me because I think Anders and the sarcastic Hawk do not mesh well together. Because I don't think and like I haven't played through Awakening, but he's much more witty in Awakening than he is in Dragon Age 2. And, like, you as Hawk just say jokes to Anders, and he's like, what? I'm like, what? Come on, man, you're smarter than this. And I just, it just didn't work for me there. I almost, I will say in that romance, he asked me, because I slept with Isabella in that playthrough, he asked me about Isabella, and I was like, very couple seconds away from breaking up with him and going to be with Isabella and Shelby told me I had to do the Anders romance. I did. I did say that. Um, um, because I, I feel like you need to do it at least once. I've done it. I hated it, but I did it. But I will say, and you heard it here from the Dragon Age lore cast people, Isabella is the best romance of DA2 
Because Isabella is the only person that is actually honest about her feelings with you. Yep. Mm -hmm. And that shows an emotional depth that the other four do not have. Yep. And I think I respect that as, as an adult going back and looking at that, respecting that as a person who says like, yeah, I don't want to be exclusive. I'm not looking for love. This is what I want. This is how I, my expectation on it, get on board with it or don't there. It's very much akin to, you know, bull saying like you say, stop, we stop. And that's where it comes in. And I just really appreciate that. So my favorite, yeah, will always be Fenris because I did. Well, I guess I wasn't really 15, but I was a much immature 22 year old or whatever. And I love Fenris. Same. I was 19 when I played Dragon Age 2 for the first time. And I only played it like once and then never looked at it again until this podcast research. And when I rewatched the romance, that's when I was like, hmm. I honestly think if his romance had started in Act 3, my opinion would be different. But because of where he's at, where the romance has to start just from the game mechanics, like, I don't think that was a good time for him. He thought that too. So good on him for like leaving. But, you know, it was just awkward. But as a 19 year old, I was like, oh my god, look at him, emo boy. But yeah, I definitely think Isabel's best because, because of what you just said. She's upfront and honest and like, it's, she's kind of surprised that she ends up liking you, but she never leads you on or, or uses your relationship against you or codependency, clingy, lily padding behavior, like Meryl and stuff. You know, like, she's her own fully formed person. And honestly, like, Isabella as a character, she's so easy to come off as, like, just, like, fan service. If you really aren't looking at her or listening to her talk, you're just like, oh, she's just for the boys. But, like, I love how she supports all the women and she's so much more than that just like Miranda is in Mass Effect 2 so you can't just write her off as fan service at all she's just that's just who she is you know I also like (laughs) Bioware yeah we'll give you fan service but we're gonna sneak in character development in it too Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) it's like (laughs) sneak attacking all the guys that like would just like her for her tits and then they actually like learn to value women's opinions and shit from her or something. You know what I mean? Like it's so, it's so brilliant the way that they do it. They just sneakily get you. And then for us, if you know, we're like me as a woman, I don't look at her and hate her. Cause I'm like, Oh, she's not just her boobs. You know, until I had a breast reduction, I had boobs a lot like hers. So I've never been someone to be like, Oh, she's just showing off her tits. What a slut. Probably cause she can't help it. Cause she can't find a shirt that fits, you know, <laughs> Well, or a chemise, I guess. I mean, she could probably find a shirt that fits, but she doesn't want to. Exactly. Yeah. Free the titties. Let yeah, them show if they fine. want to be out there. It's fine. Mm-hmm. But I will also say that I am one of those guys who was like, <laughs> "Is he titties hot?" When I first saw her, and then it developed into, "Okay, I actually like the brain inside of her head." Also, but still, mm-hmm. I like Izzy titties. Um, yeah. So. When Shelby first played the games, she said, she goes, I love Isabella, but girl, you would be able to see everything in her outfit. Like, there would be nothing left for the imagination. And yeah, I know. I mean, fighting logistically. There's no way that she could do what she does fight-wise or just movement-wise in what she's wearing and not give herself a black eye with her own tit. I don't know how they are not just flopping around all over the place. Plus, 
just going off of like historical garments, what she's wearing is probably mid-weight linen. The second that shit gets wet, you can see everything. You know, it's white too. So, and she's tan. You could probably see everything anyway. But anyway, what I wanted to say, I wrote some notes about the pros and cons of the friendship rivalry dynamic, because it's the only game that we have that in. And it's really unique with what we've already talked about of how like the challenging with rivalry versus like enabling slash supporting with friendship. But like for romance in particular, because it's not approval based romance where you're just earning their trust and like getting them to like you. It means that there's freedom for Hawk as the player because you're just like, I could have whoever I want without much effort, you know, but as for the romance options, they have no agency anymore. It refuses to let them have any sort of outright hate, no matter what you do. Like, even if they're 100% rivalry, you can still romance them. So I thought that was an interesting dynamic. I don't know how you guys feel. Do you, would you, in your romances, do you prefer them to have a choice? Like, if you do something that they disapprove of, you can't romance them? Or do you like this rivalry friendship deal? I have already said I don't like the rivalmance. So I don't love that. Just because... <laughs> I guess I feel like rival is not the right word for being a person who is assertive. You know what I mean? Like, I guess that's where I'm at because I'm an assertive person. I'm not going to back down from my beliefs. I'm going to challenge you to be better, but that doesn't mean I see you as a rival. So to me, that that terminology has never stood up. And I, um, when I played two the first time, I very much felt that the rival friendship system was a way for them to eliminate the ability to like game the system in origins with gifts. And I still think that, but it's really interesting to me the way it's progressed through the three games. Like you can just cheat in origins and then two comes and you're like, okay, well I can kind of like game the system with rival friendship still. And then in inquisition, it's like, you have no idea what's going on unless you go to the person and like you just can hear how they talk to you and kind of guess at it unless you look it up on online but it's really interesting to me that evolution um i don't love the way inquisition does it i would prefer to see something more like two or origins even though i don't love the rival language i don't prefer like yes believe it or not i'm going to criticize dragon age 2 in this moment I do not like the rival friendship moment system, mainly because I'm very sick of the protagonist who can do no wrong, really, in their companion's eyes. And Mass Effect's a bigger culprit of this than Dragon Age is. But and I think that DA2 takes a lot of cues from Mass Effect. I think you can tell that in its style and how it plays and everything going on with that. And so I just... I want to be able to piss off my companion enough that there are consequences for how I speak to them. Agreed. In Mass Effect, though, it's like mm -hmm. if you don't go along the right dialogue path, you're not going to be able to get to your lock-in scene and get a romance with them. If I piss you off enough in Dragon Age 2, now we're going to have hate sex? <laughs> I will say I do like this one aspect of it in Inquisition, where you have not necessarily like certain conversation options, but the choices you make in different missions when they approve or disapprove of that. I like that because I think that does mirror 
a little bit more closely to real life because like if your inquisitor chooses one thing that's morally against this character and then they disapprove of you and then you can't romance them because of that, that makes sense to me because they don't want to romance someone who would do something like that that's like against their beliefs or whatever. So I do like that, but I definitely agree that it was so... You never know where you stand with anyone. There's no way to look up like a score out of a hundred or something. Like the closest thing you can do is Google like the terminology they call you. I mean, with Solus, because I romanced him, duh. It's easy to know when he loves you because he calls you Vanon and stuff. Like you, you know really clear. And I know all the romance options do that. But like when you're not romancing them and you're just friends, it's really hard to tell. Like, are we besties? Are you mad at me? Unless they outright hate you. Like if you're just somewhere in the middle, no idea. So I have no idea if they're going to keep that the same in Dreadwolf or at the very least, I would like a way for console players to be able to access a way to see some sort of numerical score of approval or if they're going to do approval. Because I know PC gamers can like see the code or something somehow. But I am a console gamer, so I want to see it somewhere in a menu. So I don't know. I agree. You could do an in-universe kind of explanation for this and that like... So in Origins and Inquisition, the party members are kind of with you out of necessity. Like the Inquisition exists out of a necessity. Hawk just rounds up a bunch of people who are emotionally unstable and they just decide we're all going to be emotionally unstable together. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. Speaking of emotionally unstable, my least favorite romance is Anders. Duh. (laughs) My least favorite is Anders. You would rather real re- No, sorry, I forgot Sebastian exists. Sebastian's last. Anders is fourth. <laughs> For all the Swifties out there, you know the song I Forgot That You Existed? That's yes. how I feel about Sebastian. It isn't love, it isn't hate, it's just indifference. Indifference. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally Sebastian. But um I know you guys saw the little meme I made of like the Twilight scene of like I know what you are. Say it out loud, say it. Abomination. Are you afraid? No. Like, that's the first thing I thought of when I saw Anders' romance video. I'm just like, they're just so toxic. And the amount of people on Twitter after we did his episode who, like, came out and they're like, I know he's so toxic, but I still chose him. I don't even know if if we ever do another episode where we analyze the players for who their romance choices are. I feel like we can't touch Anders because... I feel like we would offend, I would offend people, you know, like my analysis of why they chose him. It doesn't make any sense to me. His character aside, like, like I said, I don't hate Anders. It's hard to like him at the end, but I don't hate him. I I certainly understand his position for sure. But his romance to me is the thing that I don't understand. I do not understand it. I know he's hot and vengeance make a good dom. I get that, Jen. But like, (laughs) I don't understand why you would like him. He's straight up dangerous. Maybe Jen and, can elaborate. Yeah, elaborate as the blondie bear mancer. Oh, right now? Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah, sure. Cracks knuckles. <laughs> Let's go. Knuckles, just share. <sighs> they are all emotionally unstable. They are all prone to violence. They Anders tells you, don't do this. Don't be the idiot. Don't be the idiot. Don't be the idiot. All right, fine. We'll be idiots together. Like, it's not a good romance. I agree with that. But it doesn't mean that I shouldn't do it. I don't have a whole lot to def. I can't defend his actions. 
of blowing up the Chantry without giving us the opportunity to get people out of it first. If there had been a timed mission where Hawk runs around taking people out of the Chantry and, you know, racking up Paragon points or some shit like that, I, yes, I think that it would have made it that a lot better. But it also wouldn't have been as impactful and it wouldn't have started a war. And what happened is the fact that all this time that we spent in Kirkwall and all of the years that me as Hawk spent trying to get the mages and the Templars to work together to see eye to eye at anything, none of it was working. Anders drew a line in the sand and said, pick your side here and now it is going to happen. And that level of decisiveness and taking action, I find that attractive. Yeah, Sebastian could never. I'm <laughs> going to say something, Jen, and I don't want you to be offended, but it sounds so like you're more attracted to vengeance than you are, Anders. Justice, Anders, and vengeance are all one in the same. I will quote Hawk in Inquisition. There was never just Anders. Exactly. Mm -hmm. There was never just mm -hmm. Anders. So whether or not I'm attracted to vengeance or if I'm attracted to justice or I'm attracted to Anders, they're all the same. I guess my only issue with that is it's not like Anders is equally represented alongside the spirit and the demon because the spirit and the demon are one in the same. And Anders is kind of just overwritten like code in a computer. His body is what it's inhabiting, but Anders is no longer there because if he was, we would see traces of who he was in Awakening, which was him before the possession. And he had a completely different personality, like almost unrecognizable. You can see a little bit of it in the very beginning of the game, and you can see a little bit of humanity, at least not the same character, but some humanity if you're rivaled him and he actually is like, oh my gosh, I am the monster after he blew up the Chantry. But otherwise, I don't think it's Anders anymore. Like, I think his personality is just kind of overwritten. Because he even says like when justice slash vengeance is taken over, he blacks out like he's not in control of his body. He can't do anything. So the more and more that becomes more often, the less and less Anders is actually existing in his body. So he's not speaking even though you hear his voice and he's not doing things, even though you see him move. I said this on our Anders episode, but like if you are a person that's listening out there and you don't know how to feel about Anders and like when justice becomes binge, all the stuff. Um, I really recommend reading this short story written by his writer and two. And um, it's not that long. You can find it on the Dragon Age wiki page. It is really illuminating before I read the short story, was already pretty convinced that Anders, um, when he and Justice merge together, that's when Justice becomes vengeance. And after reading that short story, I'm 100% convinced. The rage and revenge and all the things he feels, all the emotions he feels is intense, very intense. And so just reading that short story very much confirmed for me that Anders stopped existing a long time ago and Justice stopped existing a long time ago that the person we meet in Dragon Age 2 is is vengeance and almost all vengeance not entirely because otherwise the clinic he wouldn't probably wouldn't operate the clinic but most of what we see in 2 is vengeance I think 
I agree. I will say this. So right before Anders takes you on the mission where he plants the bomb and he lies to you, he says, I have found a way to take care of justice once and for all to solve the justice problem. Unless he has some secret, which is possible, it is Dragon Age. There are three ways to end a possession. You can become tranquil, you can die, or you can give in. I think he gives in. I think he lets justice have full control. And from that moment on, there is no longer any Anders. Except that that or he's convinced he'll be killed. So that's the other way. Right. And I, I stand by this except for one moment because I had the unique opportunity that I, in my romance with him, I still killed him. And mainly because I was playing a red hawk. And so when you kill him as hawk and you've romanced him, his quote is, I'm glad it's you and I'm glad I could have been happy for a little bit. So I do think that is Anders mm-hmm. because that shows regret and that shows remorse, and that shows a level of humanity that justice wouldn't understand. When he's given the speech about no compromise and other things, I really think that's vengeance. That's the thing with spirits I think people forget is like, they are one thing. Justice is just justice. Justice doesn't have any morals. Justice is reactionary. You did it wrong. Here's what the right is. And vengeance is justice flavored with anger but it's still just one thing. Well, the second your spirit comes into a human, we're so many things, like or a person, an elf, whoever. So many things, so many emotions flavoring the pot. There is impossible for it to not be fundamentally changed when it's introduced to that environment because it only knows one thing. It doesn't have these complex emotions flavoring our choices and our decisions, which is why like, I 100% agree that like he calls it justice a lot, but I don't think it was ever justice the second it entered his body because the demon is just the spirit that's been changed. Like we have that in canon multiple times confirmed by even Anders himself when he says my anger changed him. He admits it. Solus tells us in Inquisition that that's what happens when a spirit is twisted from its purpose. And that's what Anders did unintentionally, of course. But, you know, he did grow up in the circle. And there's one thing everyone who learns from the circle is to not let a, a spirit possess you. You don't want to become an abomination. That's like the big main lesson for all the mages. So he knowingly did that. He definitely had good intentions. Doesn't really matter. He's ultimately the one who paid the price for that. And then because he let a spirit that doesn't belong in the world come inhabit a physical body and be in the world, that's what the ramifications were. It sees this complex, muddy issue, mages versus Templars, which is like at the heart of everything in Dragon Age, and it tried to fix it, and it just made it worse, because that's what it does. There was one thing on Twitter someone said after we posted our thing for Anders that I thought was interesting, too, about Inquisition. It was Jessie on Twitter, and she said, I played a mage in Inquisition, and I was so frustrated that I wasn't given the choice to be pro-Anders in that game. So many of the mage dialogue options are variations of, no, now, now, I'm not like one of those mages picking fights with Templars. And I thought that was true because I had never really thought about that because I was never pro-Anders myself. But like, you really don't get a choice to be anything but like pro-Chantry, like you said, in Inquisition. I mean, I think you have the opportunity to be anti-Circle in Inquisition, uh, but not necessarily pro-Anders. 
I think there's a there's a fine line there. Hmm. Yeah, I think that at this point in time, I don't think we can adequately judge the repercussions of Anders' action on the world yet, because there hasn't been enough time. But in the view of the person in 940 Dragon, Anders' act would be viewed as a negative thing. Now, you know, we might still mm-hmm. view it as a negative thing, but history might color it differently. Like, you know, without Anders, there would be no war. We would not have been ready for Corypheus. We wouldn't have... None of this would have happened. But I don't know that... I think with Anders, too, we do have to talk about the elephant in the room with Anders, which is Fenris. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think of all things... And I don't say this as a pro friendish thing. Of all things, Anders' reaction, if you sell Fenris back into slavery, is probably his most condemning thing he does. Agreed. I don't like that one at all. There's absolutely no defense of that. The only slight thing is that doesn't he not, uh, he doesn't get disapproval points if you say, if you keep Fenris, right? He only gains approval if you give him back. Okay. And if you want more about elves and anders, you can go listen to our episode. We had Psych 88 on there, and we talked about elves and anders and everything. Um, It's definitely one of his flaws. I think that's proof that Vengeance was there, honestly. The fact that he approves of Fenris going, because he doesn't like Fenris. They've been butting heads the entire time, so to see Fenris defeated and and just completely ruined as a person, I feel like is vengeance reacting. Like it's just more proof that vengeance is there. I also want to say like, I definitely think Anders is kind of like, he's, he's done a a lot of bad shit, but especially in Inquisition, he's kind of the scapegoat for everything. It's like, we, we can't pretend that this shit wouldn't have happened anyway. If Anders hadn't blown up the Chantry, they already, we're trying to kill all the mages. Like Meredith was already being infected with red lyrium. Like this was already going to happen. He sped things along for sure. And I don't think he made anything better. If anything, he made people more afraid of mages and less likely to want to support them. And this is kind of my point. And I do have a fan theory that because Anders apparently just like comes upon the solution or the bomb. I think Meredith gave it to him. Because mm-hmm. if we follow progression, if there's no Anders, Meredith would have made up her own reason to annul the circles. That world state has a very different view of mages than one in which Anders acts. Especially given if the Kirkwall, if Meredith annuls the Kirkwall without the Anders incident, and then the Templars annul the Ravani circle after that, the conversation that happens in, in 940 with the Navarro Accords is going to be a very different conversation. And so I think that Meredith planted this so that she would look just. I like that. And it tracks for sure. Uh, because where is Anders going to come up with this idea on his own to plant a bomb? And like, how would he know the list of ingredients to get unless he's talking to the guy down the bomb maker? I know, she's yelling into the microphone. I'm sorry. Well, it's just interesting that he chose to blow up the Chantry versus, like, Meredith's office or something, you know? Right. I've always thought that. Like, why would you not 
why would you not blow up the gallows, mm-hmm. the symbol mm-hmm. of slavery, the symbol yep. of oppression to all mages, all elves? Like, it really doesn't make a lot of sense to me unless he was trying to get the biggest reaction possible, which I think is accurate. Um, I do think that yeah. is his motivation. I could definitely see an argument, too, though, like for Meredith planting that idea for him and because... With Grand Cleric Elthina out of the way, it has no dissenting voice either anymore. So, I mean, either way, it could be Anders, like, making sure that there's no voice for peace, or it's Meredith being like, now I won't have any opposition. You know, it could go either way. And as we know from lots of Dreadwolf teasers with the Red Lyrium Idol and some other things that we may know now, she is important. So, (laughs) it's gonna come back for some reason, for something. So I didn't talk about why they all need therapy, <laughs> um, but I will do that now. I have said this before. I think that no one should be romanced into. They're just all so unhealthy and hawk too, um, which, you know, it does mirror our own world. And we're all unhealthy in some level too. And like, I do think everyone deserves love, but it, the older I get, I guess, and the more I see of like healthy, loving relationships, the more I just feel for everyone in Dragon Age 2 because they're all going through so much. Um, they're living in an absolute cluster of chaos constantly, and they all need therapy because they're all not only going through their own personal stuff, but they're all experiencing so much trauma on the daily thinking about all the main quests, like, okay, they went on the Deep Roads expedition, and they got locked in in the Deep Roads with an ancient idol that tries to kill them and um, takes over the mind of Bartrand, and then Sandal gets lost and kills an ogre somehow, and how the hell did he do that? And then the sibling gets infected, and that's all in just act freaking one, not to mention the escape from Lothering and the journey to Kirkwall and trying to get into the city and then fighting all the Canari and um, trying to convince Sister Patrice or whatever her freaking name is that she shouldn't be such a bitch. And then, you know, all the stuff with Leandra, my God, and Gamlin and the Mel family estate. And then we go to act three with Meredith. Oh, and I forgot in act two, the Viscount and his son and watching him get totally killed and just all of the things it never ever ends how like how much trauma can one person take because whatever the hell is going on in Kirkwall is too much trauma so I really do think they all need to be in therapy and they um probably shouldn't date anyone for a long time that's my opinion yeah I think on the other hand it's like when I was thinking about just comparing Bioware games like with Mass Effect the romances for me especially in Mass Effect 3 work because it's the stakes are so high that you're like, find some happiness where you can. And I think that's the case for Dragon Age 2 also, and any of the Dragon Ages, honestly, because Bioware doesn't do like minimal crises. You know, it's always world ending shit happening all at once. And it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And I guess that's the point of a video game character too, is if that were happening to me, I would die so fast. So they're very resilient and strong. 
So maybe they need a little less therapy than a normal person would just because they're, well, not Fenris, for sure not Fenris, but <laughs> but Hawk, I mean, they seem, especially for playing sarcastic Hawk, they seem to take everything in stride, which is odd considering the shit their family goes through. I don't know. I would argue that means they need more therapy, right? That's, you know, yeah, that's true. Like, they hide it so well. Mm-hmm. They're just shoving it down. Aveline calls it out uh, in the beginning. If you make a flippant remark to her in a moment where she's trying to be serious with you, she's like, can you stop hiding your feelings and tell me what this is a serious moment for me? And so it's like, oh, Aveline calls you out on your shit um, for being too flippant. And I completely agree. I don't think Hawk, I don't think anybody should romance Hawk. And I don't think Hawk should romance anybody. In complete honesty, because I think that everybody in Dragon Age 2 deserves somebody with the emotional capacity beyond a 12-year-old. And that is definitely who I see, you know, like a purple hawk being. Uh, A red hawk definitely feels the anger that is a moody teenager lashing out in anger and pain. And then you've got the green hawk, who is who I went with while romancing Anders. So it did also flavor things differently for all of those dialogue options that I had. But it was just like, I'm going to look at everything in the world as if I can fix it all if I have my toxic levels of positivity. Toxic positivity will win the day. And as long as I get everybody to love me to their maximum, then we'll be good. Even if it means that I have to leave Fenris completely in his mansion the entire time because every decision that I'm going to make isn't going to make him hate me. But I ended that game with everybody at maximum friendship because I could still mm-hmm. game the system. Or Hawk. Hawk has spent their whole life being the caretaker. Whether it was caretaking for Leandra and, his, and their siblings or if it's the companions that he brings around. Eventually, they're not going to need caretaking anymore. And Hawk is not equipped to identify themselves outside of that role. Yeah. Hawk's like, who am I the champion of now? No one needs me anymore. Right. And like, if you think about that, of course he came when Varric called the Inquisition. Mm -hmm. Like, if I was Hawk, I would be like, Look, Varric, this sounds really bad, and I hate that Caripheus dude, but I've got my, you know, awesome boyfriend Fenris, and I'm going to sit here and not be involved because I've paid my dues. Which is basically <laughs> what the hero of Ferelden tells them. Be like, yo, I got more important things going on. This sounds bad, but good luck. <laughs> At least the hero has a little bit more of a, I can't join the Inquisition because I'm starting to hear Caripheus, and so I'm going to stay as far away as I can. Or if you're mine, that, but also I'm queen of Ferelden, so I'm busy. <laughs> Some of our heroes are also searching for an end to yeah. the calling, so... Someone needs to go talk to Fiona about that. Someone needs to explain why she's the one Grey Warden in the whole world who just suddenly isn't tainted anymore, just magically. Still wondering about that, Bioware. Yeah, same. There's a lot of things I'm still wondering about. Top of the list. You know what's top of the list for me? Austin's going to roll his eyes. I don't care. Freaking the architect. What happened yeah. to that? Yup. Yup. First of all, architect, Um, if no one knows, the only darkspawn that's like actually coherent and like nice. <laughs> Clearly not like driven mad. 
by the call or yeah, whatever they hear for the old gods. Like you can carry on a normal conversation with them. So many things. Didn't the architect take away Fiona's plight? I don't think we know how hers happened. I think it's just a mystery. The architect didn't take away Fiona's blight or whatever it's called. Um, her taint. Um, in the calling novel, he gives it to other gray wardens and that's what happens. Um, and I think he does take it away maybe at the end. I can't remember cause it's been a long time since I've read that novel, but not to Fiona because she's off doing other stuff. My head canon is that, which I don't love this, but um, I think that pregnancy fixed it. That's what the mm. book hit uh, because she gets pregnant with Alistair. So that's mm-hmm. what I think. That leads me to my number one thing that I want to know. I need an allure explanation for why half elves are just humans. I swear to God, if the explanation is, well, at the time when we made Origins, we could not um, render a half elf in game. Like, I will be so mad. <laughs> Because Alistair's half-elf. Shelby. Yes. Fiona gets pregnant by King Merrick. What is unique Mm -hmm. about King Merrick's DNA and blood? This is a good point that you all should read the Until We Sleep and um, the other comic that's related to that one. Merrick does have special blood. He has dragon blood. So that's also a factor. Thank you, Austin. Did that happen pre-Alistair? Yes. Okay. So before our obligatory, we didn't do it this week, but our obligatory Game of Thrones reference, Merrick mm-hmm. is a Targaryen. Merrick is yeah, a Targaryen. So, so actually all the Therans have dragon blood, um, going back to Kalanhad. That's cool. How does the blood transfer through semen? Would it not just affect Alistair? Why does he get to be a Grey Warden, but Fiona, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I don't know the answer. Um Okay. I think it's less about um, semen than it is more just about genetics, <laughs> since you brought that okay. up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if that's how she got cured was being... Well, okay, wait, hold on. I just thought of it, though. I'm dumb. I've had a kid. I should know how this works. The fetus and the mother, or the person who is pregnant, shares blood while they're pregnant. So that's... I just answered my own question. I'm sorry. I swear I've had a kid. I know how this works, ostensibly. Anyway, it doesn't help Alistair, though, so now I'm confused. Right, right. Um, I don't know. But there's something in the genetics that passes down. Um, I mm. can't remember exactly how Merrick gets dragon blood, but, but I will say this. This is an important thing. According to Inquisition, dragon blood has anti-demon properties. And the blight is connected to the Fade and some type of demon, whatever, darkness, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... It's possible. There's a lot of connecting dots here. Yeah, there are. Because the recent cinematic trailer that they released, where they had they had the little thing of Solus putting the veil around the Golden City and it turns black, and then the seven symbols around the edge of the circle are all the elven god symbols. And there's also, like, what, seven old gods? or eight total, I think. So it's like, everyone's like, oh, are they the same thing or not? We don't know yet. I would love to know, personally. Also, I'm going to be mad as a solacemancer if he caused all the blights by creating the veil. Like, if that's all interconnected somehow, because I know it's some, somehow it's connected. And then, like, lyrium is titan blood, and red lyrium is tainted titan blood. 
everybody's gods are real, except the maker, because we still don't know if he's real. <laughs> like, maybe he is. What if maybe Solus is the maker? I do think Solus all the gods the and are I do think I, they are all real. And I, I very much, I will say, I very much dislike the idea that, like, Andraste was just a crazy mage who saw a mm-hmm. spirit. He was a god. Like, I hate, I do not like that. I do not like that theory because no. it very much, like, denies Andraste's agency, which, like, granted, we've never seen her as, like, a playable person or depicted, like, as her own person in a show or something. But I just feel like a religion as big as the Chantry probably would not have emerged on someone else's complete delusions. Like, I think there I has think- to be something real about yeah. her. Well, the fact that her ashes have powers and abilities, I think just already disputes that as that it can't be true that she was just delusional. Like there is truth or some truth in that. That's the thing is like their world has so much evidence and, and just instant in your face proof of divinity in all the cultures. There's just no way that it, the maker doesn't exist. And somehow, somehow that's truth. Maybe they've combined the truth of a bunch of cultures, kind of like the origins of Christianity. You know, like they took pieces from different places that they were going and bringing it in to make it more palatable to the locals. And and then it just all became part of that. Maybe that's how Andrastianism was formed. And like different things from them were just different pieces of these other gods and deities that we know exist from various Dragon Age things. I have no idea. But here's a on topic or on theme question. If Andraste <laughs> came back, which other take out Sebastian, which DA2 companion would try to sleep with her first? Isabella. Izzy. Izzy? Would you think to Seb- sleep Sebastian and Izzy would you think Sebastian and I... Izzy would try to compete and then Sebastian would try to raise Kirkwall because Izzy slept with his bride? You know what? I think, actually, I think Izzy would try to sleep with her first, but I don't think Andraste would like Isabella because of her past slave connections. And I, I mean, she's holy, so she'll probably, like, forgive her and stuff. But I think she would go for Fenris just because of Shartan. Like, she must have an elf thing. Plus, yes. he's suffered, you know? Like, he's suffered, and he's going towards the maker. His The seeds are there. And then Andraste. Awesome. Yeah, there's definitely there's something. Oh, sorry. I just said yeah. we don't have confirmation that Shartan and Andraste had a relationship. It's true. We don't have confirmation, but um... we also don't have confirmation that her Mabari was real, but I'm sorry, 100% that dog is a good boy and he was real. <laughs> true. True, 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 true. That's true. I Check in mate there, Jen. There you go. They might not have had a romantic relationship, but I can headcanon that, or at least headcanon that he like pined after her, which is why he was so devout. <laughs> maybe she was done with men because of her what was his name Start, started with mouth yeah there we go that sounds like a bad name and then when when she died right he was like oh no i made a mistake wasn't it that i can't really remember that one i had to pretend that nothing like he didn't do anything and then okay. um the con of that time whose name is hesarian basically told everybody because he was so guilty and on that note do you guys <laughs> um anything you wanna wanna shout out, final thoughts, plugs? I I will just say um we haven't covered all of the Dragon Age 2 companions yet. We've talked about 
Varric, Anders, Meryl, and Meryl. I think that's it. Um, but I think our Anders episode is really good. Um, we had a we had Psych on as a guest, um, and he brought in some modern day references and just completely knocked it out of the park. Um, just really great analysis. So if you want more Anders content, definitely check out that episode um, because I think Psych did a, a really phenomenal job. And it's not just Psych; it's you two talking with sure, Psych. Sure. Yeah, uh, on this show, things can get a little weird, and sometimes the actual hosts of the show aren't there for the night. <laughs> so uh, it is definitely you guys talking with Psych. And no, I agree; I really did enjoy that episode. Um, listening, I will always take more Anders content. I will also say that if you want more two girls content with Dragon Age, listen to the Solus episode, which is where V guest with us, or the Zevran episode where we had Jen on. Or the Nug episode. Oh, yeah. The Nug episode, which we hosted, but we were a little different. (laughs) I have to say I'm very proud that I've seen at least two people that I've convinced to romance Solus from that episode alone and i am proud of that you don't have to like him but i definitely think it's worth it just to experience because it really is different than than not doing it well you don't do it with him but you know (laughs) if you don't romance him you really don't see a lot of his character it's because of you two that i am doing a fenris romance run right now you know and then in inquisition I really want to play a male Inquisitor, so my options then become limited. But So I think I'm going to go with Cass, and then I probably uh, will keep the same world state that I have. And then uh, I, I want to experience all of the romances in Inquisition. I really, really do. Because I'm like, I want the white picket fence with Cullen. I want the trauma drama that is soulless. And then I want to go ride the bull a few more times. So, you know. Hey, you can do all those romances and ride the bull. Wait, what? Yeah, you can. You just have to get the cutscene before. Mm. And then you can just tell bull to stop. And then you continue. Wait, hold up. If you safe word, do you end the relationship? I've never safe worded, so I don't know what happens there. (laughs) Yeah, if you say stop, he's like, okay, we're done. Oh. Are you sure? Are no. You did this. You're the one I watched do this. Because you no. wrote you rode the you rode the bull and then you romanced Josie. Yes, but I broke up with him. But you said but he says we need to talk and you say no we're we're gonna stop. Oh, that's no, saying that's that different. you wanna stop is something different than saying Kato and safe wording. Yeah, I don't know what happens if you say for Okay. <laughs> he doesn't chain you from the ceiling, I imagine? Probably not. Final thought on Sebastian. I think it's stupid that you can't romance him if you ever flirted with anyone. That was my final thought. He's pretentious and a brat. Also, um, I will say this. Solace at least gives you a little more than Sebastian does. He also That's takes true. I'm sorry, he... Right right before he breaks up with you, he gives you a real passionate kiss. And there's some butt grabbing. Not expecting that at all. And I was like, oh boy. And then he's like, actually, Venon, um, 
about this. <laughs> Bye. And then I'm like, no, it was so good. Yeah. I mean, I I actually like the way his, that's a whole thing. We're going to get to him next year, but I obviously like the way his romance progresses, even though it's sad. I don't always want a happy ending. It's fine. Sometimes you need to cry. Oh, yeah. That's my favorite part about Bioware. That's why we can argue about Anders. It's because he's so complex. You can read him two different ways. They literally just said it in the cinematic trailer. Like, is Solus a hero or is he a villain? It's really depending on what story you listen to. And that's the same with all of the villains in Mass Effect, except for fucking Kai Lang. He's a piece of shit, one-dimensional, awful, shoehorned villain that should have never been in Mass Effect. I said it. That's not a hot take, honey. None of us are going to disagree with you. (laughs) I have never hit a renegade interrupt so fast. That is the only positive he brought to the entire series. The last playthrough I did, I romanced Thane, and that was the most satisfying thing I've ever experienced in a video game. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also like it that if you're... Sorry, I'll tangent for two seconds i also like it that if your miranda dies he says this is for miranda and thane fuck kylang i don't know <laughs> if i would actually fuck kylang that is a question oh god no episode. so you went over this meme in like 0.5 seconds and i don't think people understand <laughs> how actually funny the meme that you created for this episode tonight oh, thanks okay mm. so it's I know what you are. Say it. Out loud. Say it. Abomination. Are you afraid? No. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it is so good. So good. If you you post it, can you put Hawk's face on Bella? I thought about it, but I was like, I mean, Hawk could be Bella. You never know. It's an RPG, but I, yeah, I could do that. I mean, I did a really shitty job because I don't know how to graphic edit, but I just was like, I need this to be in existence and I couldn't find it. So I tried to make it because that's literally all I could think of. Perfect <laughs> format. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. And if you like what you are hearing, please be sure to leave a review on iTunes on all of our shows. Uh, the Two Girls, One Ship cyberpunk lorecast dragon age lorecast the aragon inheritance cycle page by page podcast assassin's creed lorecast uh holocron histories i think i got them all yay or give them all a rating on spotify and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts you can now find me in the cyberpunk lorecast channel with my co-host toasty and of course in our two girls one ship channel on the robots radio discord come give us a follow on all of the existing social medias by the time that this comes out and on patreon.com slash two girls one ship links to those are in the description I'm on the Robots Radio Discord as well, and on our own Two Girls One Ship Discord server where we nerd out on all our favorite CGI significant others. Be sure to check out our live streams on Twitch on Wednesdays and Fridays at 10.30pm Eastern Time, 7.30pm Pacific Time, or watch the YouTube video a few days after the stream. Our podcast episodes release on Mondays, because you need at least one good thing on a Monday. So thanks for listening, and remember, beauty is in the eye of the controller. Thank you.
Hello, vault dwellers. Join me, Jax's sassy lady rover, Eric, and the creator, Maverick, as we take topics from the Fallout universe and discuss them with other diverse individuals. We can be found wherever you listen to your podcast. You can follow us on YouTube. You can also find us on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it using at FalloutRTD. You can send us an email using FalloutRTD at gmail.com. Join us. The conversation has already started.